This is Educate, a podcast from APM Reports about ideas and research on how we teach and learn. I'm Stephen Smith. Measuring results allows us to focus resources on children who need extra help. And measuring gives parents you know, something to, to compare other schools with. That was President George W. Bush speaking in January 2009 at a school in Philadelphia. Bush's presidency was in its final days, and he was reflecting on one of the key pieces of legislation passed during his time in office, No Child Left Behind. In the No Child Left Behind era, a central focus of federal education policy was accountability. The law mandated that states had to grade schools based on their performance on standardized tests. Low-performing schools were penalized if they didn't show that the percentage of proficient students grew over time. But some critics of No Child Left Behind, and there were many, claimed that by prioritizing low-achieving students, schools ignored those who were already proficient, who performed at grade level or above. These critics worried that high-achieving students may in fact be the ones getting left behind. In 2015, No Child Left Behind was replaced by a new bill called the Every Student Succeeds Act, or ESSA. The new version of the law gives states more authority over their school accountability systems. This week on the podcast, we're going to look back at how states might use this new freedom to create more sophisticated systems of accountability, systems that don't just reward states for helping struggling students improve, but for seeing that all levels of students succeed. Michael Petrilli is the president of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, a research and advocacy organization that focuses on education reform. He and his colleagues recently released a report that looks at how states are revising their accountability systems and which states are placing a premium on high-achieving students. Petrilli spoke with APM Reports associate producer Suzanne Pico. Why this focus on high-achieving students? For a number of reasons. First of all, let's acknowledge that it is super important for us to focus on low-performing kids. Uh, That was the big focus under No Child Left Behind. And the good news is that we've made some real progress for our lowest-achieving kids over time. You know, the lowest-performing students in America today are doing about two or even three grade levels better than their peers did back in the 1990s. So this focus on raising the achievement of kids, uh, you know, who are furthest behind in reading and math has paid off. Uh, Our argument, though, is that we need to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time, that we also need to pay attention to kids at the middle of the spectrum and at the top. And this is especially important when we're talking about kids who themselves are coming from poverty or coming from underrepresented groups. You know, a lot of times when people think about high achievers, they assume that we are just talking about kids who are children of college-educated professionals, you know, upper middle class, mostly white and Asian And for sure, uh, a lot of high-achieving kids do fit those stereotypes. But there are also high-performing kids who are coming from poverty, who are coming from African-American, Latino homes, who show up in school, and and despite whatever challenges they may face at home, uh, they are doing quite well. They show up, and let's say in in third grade, for the first time, they take a standardized test, and and they pass at, at very high levels. The problem is that today, our school system Uh, is not oriented in a way that says that those kids are a priority. In fact, many of our policies, including the federal accountability policies, have said to schools, hey, if a kid is doing well like that, they're no longer your problem. Uh, You should focus your attention instead on their classmates who need to catch up. But what we know is that especially for these these poor kids, these low-income kids who are high-achieving, if they don't get 
attention, and challenge. Special programs like gifted programs or the chance to take challenging coursework in middle school and high school is that we're going to lose them. They're going to drop by the wayside. These are kids with the potential to do quite well in our school system, to go on to selective colleges, to go on to diversify our professions. And yet we're losing a lot of these kids because we're not making them a priority. And do we know what percentage of students would be classified as high achieving? Well, you know, you you can really uh, decide that as you like. We can talk about the top 10% of students, for example, uh, and I think that's reasonable. Uh, You know, and, and the problem here is that we have these big gaps between different groups, just like we have an achievement gap. Uh, when you look at how many kids are, say, proficient in reading and math, we also have a, an even bigger gap when you look at the advanced level. Uh, we're just not doing a good enough job getting low-income kids and kids uh, from certain racial groups uh, into that group. And you look at our policies and our practices, it's easy to understand why. You know, in the affluent suburbs, we still have gifted and talented programs. We still have tracked courses in middle school for kids who are ready for honors math or honors English. We have lots of AP and IB courses in high schools, uh, many of those courses that, uh, that you really have to test into in order to participate. Uh, in many of our big cities or rural areas, we got rid of a lot of those policies. You don't find the gifted and talented. You don't find uh, the same tracked courses. So as a result, you know, if you're poor and you go to a high poverty school, uh, you're not getting the same opportunities that you would if you were affluent living out in the suburbs. I think there's sort of this assumption that those kids are just going to figure it out on their own. They're going to just have access to those magical resources. Yeah. And again, you know, if we're talking about affluent kids, you know, who's with educated parents, yeah, they, they'll probably be okay. You know, the parents will make sure they get what they need uh, and they get the challenge you need. But if you're talking about a kid who's grown up in poverty, you know, whose parents uh, made themselves have only made it through high school or less, who, who don't know how to work the system, they're, they're not going to be okay. Uh, in fact, we know from research that they're not okay. They're, we're, we're losing these kids. You know, they show up in elementary school as high performing and by middle school or high school, we don't see them anymore. You know, they have fallen back down again. So uh, we've got to raise them up and make them a priority as well. If more attention is paid to high achieving students, is there a worry that that will take resources away from the ones who are struggling the most academically? Uh, sure, that that's reasonable concern. And we need to be honest about Uh, The fact that when you're talking about something like, say, teacher's time, uh, there is a limit. And so, uh, you know, what we have right now is a focus on getting those teachers to spend virtually all their time on the low performing kids and and the rest of the kids don't don't get much at all. I would argue that uh, a more equitable solution is is equal. Everybody deserves some of that teacher's time. There are also, though, some solutions that I think could be real win win solutions. So for example, there's been research going back decades showing the benefits of letting some kids skip a grade, you know, move on to the next grade uh, if they're ready for it. And yet many of our schools resist that. Uh, They just have an ideological opposition to it. That's something that you could do. uh, And all it it means is that for those high-performing kids, you know, they're now get to have classmates who are more at their level. uh, And that can help them quite a bit. And more globally, your report recommends um, some steps that states can take to make sure that high-achieving students are prioritized. So we're talking now about the accountability policies under this new federal law that replaced No Child Left Behind. Uh, These accountability systems, what they do is they tend to look at test scores and other indicators, and then at the end of the day, spit out some kind of grade or rating for schools. You know, which schools deserve an A and which schools deserve an F. And so what we argue here is that we need to make some tweaks to how we do this work to make sure that the signal sent to schools is that all kids matter. 
Now, under No Child Left Behind, all of the focus was on getting kids to proficiency. Uh, you were basically measured based on the percentage of kids that were so-called proficient. Uh, what states can do under this new law is say, hey, we're, we're going to still focus on getting kids to proficient, but if you get somebody too advanced, you can get some extra points for that. That sends a signal that we want kids who are uh, high-performing to continue making progress. And you can get some points for getting kids to basic. So in other words, every kid now uh, matters, and the, the message to educators is, hey, you're going to do better under this system. You're going to have a better shot at getting an A or not getting an F if you make sure that all of your kids move up to the next level. I want to go through sort of all the, this step-by-step in, in, in your recommendations to states. And the second one is to rate schools using a true growth model. What's a true growth model? So a growth model, quite, uh, quite simply, is looking at the progress that an individual kid makes from one year to the next. So rather than just looking at how Tommy does in fourth grade uh, and whether or not Tommy has passed the test, you say, well, how much progress did Tommy make from the fourth grade to the fifth grade? That is something that schools have much more control over. You know, they can't help it if Tommy comes to them three years uh, below grade level. They have no control over that. But once they get Tommy, they can make sure that he's making a lot of progress, say at least a year, maybe a year and a half if he's behind, of progress over the course of the year. And we can now measure that based on reading and math tests. And, uh, and it's our view that these, these growth models, as they're called, should be a major, major part of how we grade schools. And we should make sure that everybody's included. Now, there's some states that uh, back in the last few years have developed a system where they're focused on, on growth, on progress, but only for low-performing kids. They want to know if schools are making you know, rapid progress getting those kids caught up. Again, we think uh, that that might come from an uh, you know, understandable impulse, but it sends a signal to schools that they should pay more attention to low performers than high performers, which we think is a problem. And your third step involves reporting separate results for gifted students. Why is this important? Yeah, we think this is a really effective tool to bring a spotlight to, to their performance. In the same way that the federal law requires that we do this for special education students, for English language learners, those kids that are still learning the language, uh, and we think that gifted kids or high-achieving kids deserve to be uh, part of one of those special groups as well. And it helps to bring attention, again, to a school that may be doing well overall, but may not be doing as well as it could be for that particular group of students. And that last step involves the so-called summative school rankings, those letter grades yeah. um, that summarize how a school ranks. Your report says that growth for all students should count for a large portion of this rating. That's right. So. In states where they decide that they're going to take all this different information and pile it together, maybe put it into some kind of formula and spit out a grade or a rating, we think that the, the growth uh, metrics should count the most. So again, the progress from one year to the next. That is the best way to send a signal to schools that they got to pay attention to helping everybody make progress uh, from September to June. And uh, what we want to avoid is the kind of focus we had under No Child Left Behind, where, you know, all of the attention was on getting kids to this one level called proficient. I'm interested in in gifted education in general. Is there a possibility that focusing on higher achievers, that sort of a rising tide would lift all boats in terms of uh, yes. who's, who is considered gifted? No, absolutely. And a lot of people have this notion of gifted ed as, oh, that was just some way for, you know, rich parents to get more for their kids. But the field of gifted education is very concerned about getting more low-income and minority kids into these programs. One of the, the real cornerstones of that movement 
uh, is to say that we should have universal screening for giftedness. So in, you know, second, maybe third grade, to have some way, you know, mostly through an assessment, but other mechanisms as well, to identify kids uh, with a lot of potential and to do it in such a way that, uh, you know, that we give uh, low-income and minority kids a real chance to get into those programs. So saying, for example, hey, how about the top 10% of students at each elementary school and, uh, and make sure that they have special programs. And when you do that, guess what? You know, kids have access to more challenge and more rigor. They rise to the occasion. So that's absolutely something that's a focus. But it just hasn't been, it hasn't been a priority for schools because the incentive structure has been quite clear to them that, you know, they, they need to focus instead on this other group of students. That was Michael Petrilli, president of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, a research and advocacy organization that focuses on education reform. He spoke with APM Reports associate producer Suzanne Pico. You can find a link to the Fordham Report, which is called High Stakes for High Achievers, at our website, apmreports.org. While you're there, you can check out our archive of podcasts and documentaries about education. We'd also love to hear what kinds of thoughts and questions this podcast and our other work may bring up for you. You can let us know at the website, apmreports.org. You can also find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Support for APM Reports comes from Lumina Foundation and the Spencer Foundation. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM. <laughs>